I'm going to be speaking for the next three weeks, and I decided to do a series, and as I was thinking about this and uh, meditating on it and praying about it, I thought, what is it that the church really needs to hear uh, to move us forward in 2011? And uh, this whole idea of investing in the kingdom really began to ring loud and clear in my mind. And so for the next three weeks, I want to take us through a series on investing in the kingdom of God. And we're going to touch on three different passages of scripture. The first week we're going to look at, which is today, we're going to look at investing your life in the kingdom from Matthew chapter 25. So if you take your Bible and open there. Next week, we're going to look at investing your time in the gospel of God. From Acts chapter 17, Paul's great mission from Mars, or his message from Mars, I call it. And then the week after that, we're going to focus on investing your energy in the people of God. From First, uh, first Thessalonians chapter 2. So that's where we're going uh, for the next three weeks. And um, investing in the kingdom of God. And so if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 25... This is a very, very familiar passage for some of you. Uh, some of you may not be so familiar with this passage, but it's in uh, Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. And I'll read it for you. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. I have a PowerPoint. The PowerPoint is actually in NIV. But uh, instead of us reading it together, because we all have different translations probably, I'll just read it to you and, and you can listen. But if you don't mind... And, in honor for God's word. Would you stand as we read through this passage? Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered two, to me two talents. Here I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was, what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, 
for to everyone who has given for to everyone who has has will be given more and he who ha- who have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth join me as we pray father i pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning i pray that you would uh, lord convict us where we need to be convicted encourage us where we need to be encouraged and help us uh, not to leave this place without having some encounter with your spirit i pray lord may the thoughts and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight and may may i decrease and the lord jesus increase in christ's name i pray amen please be seated uh, investing your life in the kingdom of god uh, many of you probably know donald trump they call him the donald very very wealthy affluent rich businessman in the united states owns half of new york city many many years ago donald trump said this when he was 36 years old he said this i'll be 36 next year and i've done everything i can do sometimes i think it was a mistake to have raced through it all so fast what's the next level up the grass is always greener i work and i don't worry how can you top that he goes on he says i protect myself as well as anybody i can i prepare for things but ultimately we all end up going speaking about death i don't believe in reincarnation heaven or hell but we go someplace do you know i cannot for the life of me figure out where donald trump one of the richest men in the world a great giant in the business world he says this here's a picture of a man who is so busy possessing everything he can in life that he's he's not preparing for the life to come he's not doing anything to prepare for the next life but you know before we go and point a finger at the donald which he's fondly known as before we go and point a finger at him so often that can often characterize christians as well we can get so busy that we forget what we're doing what we're working for and this whole idea of investing just kind of blows by us and and we just go on with life the fact of the matter is that many people in the world today have no idea what life is all about and i would say that could be true in the church as well there's three things you can do with your life people you can number one you can waste your life and there's lots of things to waste your life on you can spend your life you can spend your life on hobbies you can spend your life on your career you can spend your life on gaining all the possessions that you could possibly acquire and eventually get you nowhere the third thing you can do is you can invest your life jesus taught that the greatest use of a life is a person who invests it beyond himself that's what this parable is about Jesus taught the greatest use of any life is when you can invest it. And um so he told this story of the parable of the talents. Now, today's message isn't about money, although 
it will affect how you use your finances. It's not about money. It's, much, it's about something much more important than money. This parable teaches us, I want to share with you five crucial principles of investing your life in the kingdom of God. Five principles of investing your life in the kingdom of God. But before I do that, there's three little words in this parable, which I'll come to at the end of the sermon, which will determine your success or failure. There's three little words in this parable that mark the difference between the good and faithful servant and the wicked and lazy servant. I'll get to those at the very end. But the first thing I want you to notice is this. When it comes to investing in the kingdom of God, recognize that God owns it all. Recognize that God owns it all. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them whose property? Whose property? His property. God owns it all. He owns every bit of it. He made it all. He owns it all. You and I came into the world naked, and naked from the world we shall go. We can't take anything with us. We are simply on this earth for maybe 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And he's given it to us just to manage it, to use it. But in the end, he owns every single bit of it. All that stuff that you have. All that stuff that I, every time I get on a plane, I look in my house before I go to the airport, I look around my house and I look at all the stuff. And I realize that, you know, it's all temporary. I can't take it with me. It's here for me to use as a steward of God. But ultimately, I can't take it. God owns it all. Every bit of it. So that's the first principle. That was pretty quick. He owns it all. Everything you possess, he owns. Secondly, realize that opportunities are given according to your ability. Realize that opportunities or recognize that opportunities are given according to your ability. Another way of say, saying that is this. God will give you as much as he can trust you with. God will give you as much as he can trust you with. Look at verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now here's, here's what's going on in this parable, which I'm sure you understand. The parable is about Jesus. And Jesus is the owner. He owns it all. And he calls his servants. Now these just weren't servants that he found on the street. Just any old servant. These were tried and tested faithful servants that he knew very well. And this was very common back in the ancient world. Because back in the ancient world, when you went on a journey, a business trip or whatever it was, you didn't just get on a plane and go and come back the same day. It often took months. You would load your camels, your mules, whatever it is, and you would load up all your stuff that you needed and you would go for a very long time. And so he calls his servants together. He chooses, in this story, for the sake of the... It's a parable, so not everything in this story has a particular meaning, but he chooses three servants, and he entrusts 
them with some talents. And he goes on a long journey. Now, he, 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 he gives them according to their ability, verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. Now, the Bible teaches that we are not all equal. The Bible clearly teaches that we are not all equal. Now, we're equal in the sense that we are all created in the image of God. Therefore, we all have, have self-worth. We all have dignity. But the fact of the matter is that each person sitting here this morning is not the same. You're not me. I'm not you. I remember one time I was, uh, um, met this friend of mine. A lot of you probably know him, Cal. You know, the big... Big guy that lifts weights. You see him around, big stocky guys that see him, I ask a lot. And I met Cal one day, and uh, about three years ago, I had a bad case of pneumonia. I almost died. I was in Ram Hospital and came very close to, to death. And after I got out of the hospital, I was probably about 130 pounds. I was just this scrawny little kid, this guy. And so I, I felt like I needed to do something. I needed to bulk up a bit because my wife, she was looking at me and she says, you know what, you look like a gutted lizard. <laughs> you know? And then she, you, she say things like, you know, you, you look like a refugee from an AIDS camp or something. And she, <laughs> she, works, at, she works at Agape. So I figured I had to do something. So I, I met this guy, Cal. This, this guy, Cal. And I said, Cal, uh, can you teach me how to lift weights? I want, I want to bulk up a little bit. And, uh, and so I met him at the gym one day. And I, and, and I got there, and he says, he says, now, what are your goals? I said, I just, I just want to, you know, bulk up a bit. Not, not a lot. I don't want to be like you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what he said? He looked at me, and he laughs, and he says, well, that's okay, Mike, because I certainly don't want to look like you. <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing is, we're not all the same. We're all different. But God has given to you certain talents. Now, now the story talks about talents. The master goes on a long journey, long enough that his servants would then invest his money. He expected a return on his investment, okay? He expected that. It's in the parable. Now, a talent is where we get the word, actually, the word talent is where we get our word talent today. But in the Old Testament, in the ancient Greco world, a talent was referring to an amount of money. In today's economy, a talent is probably worth about $1,000. So you're talking about quite a bit of money here. Okay? So to the one servant, he gives 5000 bucks. That's a lot of money. To the second servant, he gives 2000 bucks. To the third servant, he gives 1000 bucks, And then he goes away on a long journey. Now the question is, what is a talent? And so here you go. A talent is abilities, resources, skills, or opportunities. All the things that God has given you, including spiritual gifts. That's what a talent is. A talent is, is abilities, resources, skills, opportunities. Everything that makes up you, in a sense, you could call a talent. Now, it's not just a spiritual gift. The problem with this passage is if you, if you translate the talent as simply being a spiritual gift, 
then you run into a hermeneutical nightmare at the end of the passage. Because you ask the question, what is the one-talent guy who gets thrown into hell, where it says in the last verse, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and everywhere in the New Testament that that is referred to, it's always referring to a literal hell. So what are, you, are you saying that the guy can lose his salvation? Is that what we're saying? So I don't think you can say that the talent is just simply a spiritual gift. I think it's much more than that. I think the talent are your skills, your abilities, the opportunities that God brings across in your life to invest in the kingdom of God. That's what the talent is. And so what I want you to pick up from this parable is this. The amount differs with everybody. Everybody gets a different portion. Nobody gets the same portion. Everybody gets something. There's no such thing as a no-talent person. Okay? There's no such thing as a no-talent person. Everybody has something. And here's what I want you to see. Not everyone gets the same opportunity because not everyone has the same ability. Not everyone gets the same opportunity because not everyone is capable of handling the same responsibility. It's just a fact. It's, 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 it's a law that God has ordained. That you and I are different. We all have different abilities. And just because somebody has five talents and somebody has two talents or one talent makes no difference. That's not the point of the parable. Now, let me illustrate it for you by this, uh, saying this. Um, I love to play basketball. I love to coach basketball. I've played basketball through high school and college, and I've coached in Chiang Mai for probably 10 years. When I, was, when I started playing basketball, I was in the 10th grade. I grew up in New England, just outside of Boston, as you can probably figure. And uh, I, I, I was on skates when I was five years old. I was a hockey player. I played hockey all my life. But um, when I got into high school, everybody grew. But I didn't. I was four foot nine. I was 120 pounds, uh, less than 100 pounds. I was like 99 pounds. I was just, I was a shrimp. And when I got on the hockey rink, I would just get killed. I mean, I would just get mauled. And so I thought, I got to do something else. So I was in the basketball gym one day in the off-season playing basketball. And the coach saw me. He came over to me. He said, he said Mike, um, have you ever considered playing basketball? I thought, no, I'm not tall enough. But I was really fast, and I'm really wiry. And I can dribble a ball. So he said, uh, so I thought about it. I said, because it, it was so painful to play hockey. <laughs> so I thought, well, sure, I'll, I'll go off a of basketball. So I went off a of basketball in the 10th grade. And uh, made the team, and I started the whole season. And I started my sophomore, junior, and senior year, and then I went to play, on to play college ball. Now, what, what was it? I had the ability, God had given me the ability to dribble a basketball, to shoot a basketball, to play basketball. And because of that ability, I was able to use it and develop it. Now, 30 years later, I don't, I don't tell you that to be sensational. I'm trying to make a point here. 30 years later, I'm coaching basketball. And I have parents come up to me all the time. I've coached U9, U, U13, uh, varsity. 
when I was coaching, when I coached basketball, I have parents come up to me all the time saying, I think you should play everybody on the team equally. And I look at them very nicely because, you know, I'm a nice guy. And, and I look at them and I say, listen, um, I don't know where you are in this world of yours with Peter Pan and the Easter Bunny. That's what I want to say. I don't say that. But the fact of the matter is, kids have different abilities. Now, that's fine for, for younger age basketball players. You get U9, U13. You know, I play everybody equally because they're developing their skills. But when you get into JV and high school basketball, JV high school, I don't care what the sport is, it's competitive. These kids are fierce. They're really competitive, and they want to play. And the, be the kids with better skills, you know what their expectation is? That they'll play more. And so that, that's, that the fact of the matter is, that's not how life works. In life, different people have different abilities. Some of you have way more ability than I do. I have some ability that you don't have. You have other abilities that I don't have. God gives you opportunities that I'll never get. I get opportunities that you'll never get. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much or how little. The question is, what do you do with it? Where are you going to invest it? Now, verse 15, just because the master gave the one guy 5,000 bucks, and the other guy, 2,000, and another one, 1,000, doesn't mean that he loved the one uh, with 5,000 more than he loved any of the others. That's not the point. He recognized the difference. God looks at you and he knows what you can handle. Therefore, he gives you as much as he can trust you with. You see, even in giving of gifts and talents and opportunities, God is sovereign and he's fair and he's merciful. If God just poured everything in your lap, you wouldn't be able to handle it. So he gives you according to your ability. Um, now, what is our tendency? Our tendency often is like this. I find myself doing this. I did this a lot when I was younger. Sometimes our tendency is to look at other people. Instead of looking at the opportunities that God's given me, I look I look at the opportunities that God has given other people and I think, why doesn't he give me those opportunities? I mean, why did God call me to, to, to live in Thailand and be a missionary in Thailand when, you know, I could have been maybe like a Rick Warren or something like that? Why, why, didn't, why didn't God give me the ability to play professional basketball and he gave it to somebody else? Why didn't he give you a great singing voice or make you a, a brilliant businessman like, like the Donald. Why? I, I don't know why. I can't tell you why. All I can tell you is that God's sovereign and he's given you abilities, opportunities, skills, talents according to your ability. And it will give you as much as he can trust you with. Now when it comes right down to it, um, God gives opportunity according to our ability. It's not our job to worry what we have and what we don't have. The important thing is that you make the most of what you do have. And so I think it's important 
that as we go into this new year, that you do a spiritual inventory of your life and try to identify what are the things that I'm really good at. What are my gifts? You know, some Christians out there that don't even know what their spiritual gifts are. There's some people out there that don't know what their gifts are because they've never gotten involved in a church. And until you get involved, you have no idea. Until you start investing your life in the kingdom, oftentimes you don't know what you have and what you don't have. So do a spiritual inventory. Are we investing in the kingdom? Or are we burying our opportunities, our gifts, our talents, our skills? Um, you know, if you're like me, you probably feel like, I mean, of all the, the people in this parable, I identify the most with, if you're like me, with the one-talent guy. I mean, I don't feel like I'm a five-talent guy. I feel like I'm just an average Joe. I'm a one-talent guy. And you probably feel the same way. You probably identify with the one-talent guy more than anything else. You know, you know, we're not the most gifted. I don't feel like I'm the most gifted person. And yet, the one and two-talent guy, the difference in what they received wasn't very much. I mean, one got 2,000, the other got 1,000 compared to the one who got 5,000, which was significant. The difference between the one and two talent guy wasn't much. But what they did with it was significant. One doubled his income, the other buried it and did nothing with it. He sat on it. Listen, folks, we'll be given opportunities according to our ability. If God chooses to give others more than you and I, that's no excuse for us to sit on our talent and do nothing with it. Okay? He may have given other people more opportunities, more ability, more skills, but that doesn't mean just because we only got the one talent that we could just sit on it. The third principle I want to share with you is this. Recognize that faithfulness always leads to a promotion. Recognize that faithfulness always leads to a promotion. Another way of saying that is being responsible leads to more responsibility. Being responsible leads to more responsibility. Uh, look at verse 19. It says this, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, the master had made an investment. He made a significant investment. He called his faithful servants. He entrusted to them talents. He went on a long journey. They knew he was coming back. doesn't say how long the journey was. That's not important. The fact of the matter is he's coming back. And he expected, he expected an investment to be made. He expected a return on his money. That's what he expected. And so the master is going to return, and the same thing is true with your life and my life. God has invested in you. He has given you talents. 
He has given you skills. He brings in opportunities to your life. He has given you personality traits. He's given you lots of different things to make you, you. And what he expects when he returns is a return on his investment. That's the principle. The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. And with greater responsibility comes what? A promotion. You get a promotion. And with a promotion, you're given more responsibility. The bigger, the bigger the promotion, the bigger the job description. Verse 21 and 23. If you look at that, it says, it says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. The one who received five talents went and invested it. He made five more, two talents, two more. And he comes back and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, it's interesting. If you look at the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy, both were faithful. Both were given. Uh, both were faithful. Both were promoted. Both were given more responsibility. But they weren't equal. They were both promoted. Both given more responsibility. But they weren't equal. So what's the lesson? The lesson is this. Faithfulness pays off. Faithfulness pays off. Faithful with little things or a lot, you're equally, equally rewarded. Whether it's a little or a lot, God is going to equally reward you. And I believe that God's equally pleased. I don't think God was any more pleased with the guy who received five talents than the guy who received two talents. He was equally pleased with both. Why? Because they both invested and they made 100% on their money, even though the man with five talents had much more ability. Um, so the principle is this, being responsible always leads to more responsibility. The more responsible, the bigger the promotion. The bigger the promotion, the bigger the job description. And you know what happens? You get busier and busier and busier. Now I can say I, that I'm 50 years old now and I can honestly say to you that I have never been more busier in my life than I am today. I don't know why that is other than the fact that God has given me more responsibility just as he has you. But I think sometimes we approach it the wrong way and we say something like, you know, I don't want a promotion. I don't want to be as busy as you are. I don't want to be that responsible. Sometimes we want less, not more. Now, I'm not talking about having margin in your life. That's, that's something you have to have. You have to build margin into your life. You have to build space into your life. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, sometimes we look at it all the wrong way. And we say, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that busy. And can I, can I say something that is probably going to step on some people's toes here? Um, you know, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the church, 
I think we all have a responsibility to serve in the church. And I'm one of you, okay? I've lived in Chiang Mai for quite a few years. I know the culture of Chiang Mai. I'm not talking about Thai culture. I know Thai culture. I'm talking about the expat community culture. I know the culture. And many of us come to Chiang Mai, and we're here for many years, and we attend church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And we think, well, I have my home church back in Australia or back in the U.S. or back in Canada or where, wherever it is you're from. I have my home church there. So that's where I serve. And I have my ministry here. And, and somehow there's a disconnect between, between the church and ministry and where we are. And I want to tell you that that's wrong. I don't think that pleases God. God has called you to invest your life. And one of the ways you invest your life in the kingdom of God is by investing in his church because his church is the answer to the world. God has chosen the channel of the church to bless people, to bring the gospel to people. And the church is made up of individuals. We're a body. But I think sometimes we get the idea that, you know, that's my church, that's where I serve, that's where I give. So therefore, you know, if I was, I used to be a pastor. If I was to go to your pastor and say to him, would you expect someone from your church who's living somewhere else and has been living there for many years to get involved in the church there? I guarantee you, if he had any biblical knowledge whatsoever, he would say, absolutely. And yet many times, you know, we don't, we don't want to take that, we don't want to make that investment. And so a lot of things get undone. Now, if you come to this church on a regular basis, then you're a member of the church. Now, I don't know of any international church that has formal membership. I really don't. I mean, I've, I've been through it with one church, with try it, seen it, it didn't work. I don't know of any, any church internationally that has a formal membership process. I don't, I don't think that's important. What I think is important is that if you attend a church on a regular basis, then you might as well, you consider yourself a member of the church. I know the elders do. They consider you a member of the church. If you're a member of the church, then you have a responsibility to that church to give to the church, to pray for the church, to serve in the church, to do all those things that need to be done in the church. Being responsible always leads to more responsibility. You know, why? Why does... Why do... When we serve, why does God allow us to get more responsibility? I think it's one of God's ways of challenging us, molding us, and helping us to grow in our faith. And so, and, and sometimes we're afraid of that. We get, we, I don't want to be that busy. I don't want to do that much. I have my ministry here, I don't want to do any more. And we become afraid. But um, 
You know, God oftentimes wants to take you to a new level. He wants to challenge you. He wants to stretch you. And he wants you to be faithful in the little things so that he can grow you and give you more responsibility. The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. Being responsible leads to more responsibility. Faithfulness always leads to a promotion. A promotion always includes a bigger job description. Being responsible leads to more responsibility. Number four. Recognize that accomplishing a little is better than accomplishing nothing at all. Recognize that accomplishing a little is better than accomplishing nothing at all. Uh, verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine, my own, with interest. And so the first guy, he takes his money and he goes right to work and he doubles it 100%. Makes 100% profit. So now he's got 10,000 bucks. That's a lot of money. The second guy does the same thing. He invests his money. Goes right to work. Wise investor. The whole point of this story, the whole point of this parable is the third guy. What's the third guy do? He buries it and he does nothing. He sits on his laurels and does nothing. And the master comes back. You know, he's cautious He's conservative. He's playing it safe. I'm not going to take the risk of losing that money. Even though he knew. Now get this. He knew what his master was like. He knew his master was a hard man. He knew his master was a shrewd businessman. And the fact that he knew his master the way he did should have motivated him even more to invest his money. But he didn't. Why? Because he, he was just lazy. He was a lazy, wicked servant. You know, you call an ace an ace. And the master comes back, and this guy prepares a speech. And he says, oh, master, I knew what you were like. I knew you were hard. He prepares a speech. And then he turns around, and he blames his master on top of that. I mean, can, can you believe this guy? He turns around, and he blames the master. He passes the buck. And what's the master's reaction? He's ticked. He's pretty peeved. And he looks at him and he says some of the harshest words in all the Bible. He says, you wicked, lazy, no good servant. Take him out of here and throw him into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he totally condemns him. Why? Because he was lazy. It's the sin of inactivity, the sin of passivity, is what this guy did. The point? What's the point? The point is, you can't please God by playing it safe. You can't please God by playing it safe. Why? Romans 14, 23. Without faith, if it's not of faith, it's sin. Romans eleven six. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
You see, if it wasn't risky, if everything is safe, then you don't need any faith at all. And to do nothing is totally, totally inexcusable. I mean, I believe God loves it when you and I take risks. I think the greatest mistake I have made in my Christian life is the fact that I didn't have a greater vision than what I had. I believe the greatest mistake in my Christian life is that I wasn't willing to take the necessary risks in order to see God's hand work. But oftentimes I played it safe. I was cautious because I didn't want to lose the investment. But you know, God loves it when we take a risk. I'm involved in some things right now. I could lose my shirt. We're starting uh, our third business. We have a business platform in Burma to support church planting teams there. We're starting our third business in Burma. And it's a huge investment of money. It's about $25,000. And we have three of these going. I was in, uh, last week I was uh, in the States for uh, some leadership team meetings. And I sat down with my boss. And I looked at I said, Tim, uh, I'm nervous. You know, you've entrusted me with a quarter of a million dollars. We're investing it. We could, we could lose it all tomorrow. We could lose half of that investment tomorrow. You know what he said to me? He looks at me. He says, Mike, that's why you're there. He says, take the risk. God's in control. Don't worry about it. I mean, he's preaching to me this parable. I'd rather attempt to do something great and fall than attempt to do nothing at all. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather attempt to do something great than to do nothing at all? One of the biggest obstacles in our lives is that we're not willing to take the risks that God wants us to take. Uh, Rick Warren, he's uh, he is written on this passage, commented on this passage. One of the things that Rick Warren said to his church, he says, On my tombstone, I want the inscription, At least he tried. At least he tried. This guy pastors a mega church in California. Oh, he may not reach all of his goals. He may not accomplish everything he wanted to accomplish, but at least he tried. Try to make an impact with your life. Try to make your life count. Try to do something significant that will outlast your life. To do nothing is inexcusable. We play it safe. God's not pleased. Why do you and I oftentimes play it safe when it comes to ministry? I'll tell you why. The same reason why this one, one talent guy played it safe, because of fear. Because of fear. Rick touched on that last week. I want to unpack it just a bit today. There's three types of fears that the devil often uses in our lives. First of all, the fear of self-doubt. We say, oh, I could never do that. You know, I, I could never do that. Um, I'm not qualified. It's the fear of failure. You remember when you were in high school and the teacher would ask a question? And you knew the answer. I mean, you knew the answer. You were 100% positive you knew the answer. But you wouldn't raise your hand because you were afraid that if you were wrong, 
you'd look like a real idiot. You'd look like a dork. It's the fear of self-doubt, the fear of failure. Why is it that we aren't willing to take the risks that we want to take, that we need to take, is because of the fear of self-doubt. Secondly, self-pity. Self-pity. This is the person that says, oh, I've failed so many times in the past, I'm not going to do it again. The fact of the matter is, is that failure is the back door to success. I can't tell you how many times I've failed. That's the back door to success. Um, that's, like saying, that's like saying, you know, I ate at a restaurant once in Chiang Mai. It was so bad, I'll never eat at another restaurant again in my life. I mean, that's just stupid. Who does that? I think it, this, this, this principle of self-pity can be best illustrated between Judas Iscariot and Peter. As you remember, Judas, they both denied Christ. They both committed the same sin of denying their Lord. Judas, Judas went out from him, walled in self-pity, couldn't get his feet back on the ground, got depressed, went out and hung himself. What did Peter do? Peter wept bitterly repented of his sin, got back up on his feet. Fifty days later, he's preaching 3,000 people repent and come to faith. What was the difference? Peter didn't wallow in the sin of self-pity. Uh, thirdly, self-consciousness. This is the one that says, what will other people think? You know, oftentimes we're hindered from serving in the church because we, what would they think? What if I don't do a good job? You know, we don't want to work with youth. What will they think? Or teach Sunday school? What will they think? The sin of self-consciousness. We're often concerned about what other people think. Um, Proverbs 29.25 says this, The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. Fear causes me to make excuses for not doing nothing, passing the buck. You know, let the professionals do it. They're better at it. Let them do it. I'm just going to pass on it. Now I'll just sit. Last principle I want to share with you this morning is this. Recognize that the more you apply yourself, the better you get. Recognize that the more you apply yourself, the better you get. Uh, it's the principle of use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. Verse 28. It says this. So the talent was taken from him and give, and, and give it to, the, to, to him who has ten talents. So they take. So the Lord says, the master says, take from that lazy, wicked servant the one talent and give it to the guy who has ten talents. You think, that's not fair. Well, you know, life's not fair. And it doesn't belong to you anyways. It's God's. He can do whatever he wants with it. If he wants to take it from you and give it to somebody else who has the capacity, he has the right to do that. So he says, take it from that guy and give it to the guy who has ten talents. And throw that worthless guy into, into the abyss. It's a universal law. If you don't use it, you lose it. It's a universal law. If you don't use your muscle... You lose muscle. If you don't use your mind, you won't lose your mind, but you, you become mentally dull. If you don't use your spiritual gifts, 
you'll lose your spiritual gifts. God will take them away from you. If you don't use the opportunities, if you don't seize the opportunities that God gives you, you lose those opportunities. It's a universal principle. Use it or lose it. Look at the things that you want to increase in your life and invest in those things. What are the things that you want to increase in your life today? Maybe it's your marriage. I've had several friends just this year. Their marriages have fallen apart and they're getting divorced. Why? They didn't invest in their marriage. Your children. Maybe it's your ministry. Maybe it's your, your spiritual intimacy with God. You want to increase your spiritual intimacy? Invest your time in it. And God will bless it. Use it or lose it. When it comes to investing in the kingdom, you use it or you lose it. Five foundational principles. Here they are. Everything you possess belongs to God. Everything you own belongs to God. He owns it all. Secondly, God will give you as much as he can trust you with. Each person has different abilities and he'll give you what he can trust you with. The fact that somebody has more ability than you does not matter whatsoever. What matters is what you do with what God has given you. Thirdly, being responsible leads to more responsibility, which leads to more a greater promotion, which leads to a bigger job description, which means you're going to get busier. Why? Because God wants to stretch you. He wants to develop you. He wants to challenge you. He wants to mature you. He wants to grow you. Fourth, the only failure is in giving up. Don't ever give up. The only failure is in giving up. Fifth, use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. Now I want to touch on those three little words. Those three little words will make all the difference. Some of you know these principles. Probably most of you know these principles already. But those three little words will make all the difference in the world. The three little words make the difference between the good and faithful servant and the lazy, wicked servant. What are they? Verse 16. The man who had received the five talents went at once. And he put his money to work and gained five more. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't go and bury it. He took what God gave him. And the Bible says he went at once. And he invested in what God had given him. And God blessed him for it. I want to challenge you, church, that in 2011, a new year, that you invest your life in the kingdom of God. Invest your life in the kingdom of God. And start immediately. Don't procrastinate. What is God telling you to do today? You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not you. Some of you hear this message. I, I, I really believe that God's spirit is speaking to people here. I don't know what he's telling you. But I can tell you this. Go out at once and do what it is that he's told you to do. 
Let's, uh, let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this uh, very familiar parable. And Lord, I pray for my friends here. I pray, Father, that you would bless them. I pray that where your spirit is speaking in their lives, that you would give them the ability, the desire, the wherewithal to make the necessary adjustments, sacrifices in their lives to follow you wholeheartedly and to invest their lives in the kingdom of God. Father, thank you. I pray that uh, you would bless each life here and that throughout this week you would help us to recognize the opportunities that you bring in our path that we might be able to invest in those things for your kingdom and for your name's sake, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. to say that uh, I needed to hear that. Thank God for it. And I think I'm probably not the only one. So uh, um, please take to heart what, uh, what the Lord is speaking to you about right now. That's... That's not the right song. My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust to the sweetest frame But wholly lean on Jesus' name on Christ the solid rock I'll stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand When darkness veils His lovely face I rest on His unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I'll stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath. His oath, His covenant, His blood, oh, port me in the whelming flood. In every hound my soul gives way, He then is